Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. This is episode number 38, and my name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm thrilled to be uh, joined by a teacher out in Philly, CJ Reynolds. CJ, thanks for coming on, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Kyle. I appreciate it, man. And just so people are clear when they listen, uh, where, where's the, where can they find you online? Because that's how I found you. I, I found you through your Instagram and your YouTube. So just so getting started so people when they are, are looking for you, where can they find you? Sure, it's Real Rap with Reynolds uh, everywhere, from Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, um, Facebook, uh, so that's anywhere you just type in Real Rap with Reynolds, that's hopefully we show up. Yeah, perfect, perfect. All right, so so this is a question we ask starting out to everyone we interview. Uh, who was your all-time favorite teacher, and, and why was that person your favorite teacher? It's a funny question because I feel like everyone always has like that one teacher that sort of turned the tide for them or like was really magnificent. And I never had that teacher growing up. Like I just never had anyone that was, you know, stood out. And me, I don't know why. I think I didn't stand out. And so that maybe why no one sort of gravitated towards me. I was that fly under the radar kind of kid. But I think the teacher that meant the most to me was when I student taught. I student taught in Winslow Township area of New Jersey, and I had this guy, Mr. Z, everyone called him, and he was, like, one of, he was the most fantastic teacher I'd ever seen. His, you know, ability to connect with students was amazing, and his classroom was, like, the most on-point place I'd ever seen, and so it was really, he was a special, special guy in the classroom, so that probably would be my answer, even though he was never, like, actually my classroom teacher. Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer. I've never heard anyone give that answer, but I can think, too, like, I had a professor um, when I was in college, Miss Dr. Walker, who was just, like, unreal. And especially at that time when I was in college, when I was learning so much content, she was someone that really focused on, like, what it meant to be a teacher. So I, so I feel you there. So, all right, here, here's another, another fun question. So if, as a teacher, if you were a superhero, be it DC, Marvel... Whoever, which superhero do you think he would be and why? So if I was a if I was a, a high school teacher, what superhero would I want to be? Yeah. Um geez, man. You know, I, it's kinda cheating, but like Superman's gotta be your answer, right? Because like you can do a whole like lot of stuff. Right. Some teachery stuff, you could like um like I don't know, like, my classroom's cold, so laser beam eyes warming things up would be, like, a pretty good gig. Or, you know, being able to work, it, like, raise things really quickly um, would, be, yeah. would be excellent. Or, like, being able to fly or levitate would help you with, like, hallway monitoring skills and stuff like that. So, um, I just think that the practicality of that, it would be something I'd really like to be able to do. Yeah, I, I saw in your, the, the video you released yesterday on YouTube, you said that your school closed one day because the heat was off? Yeah, well, so we are always, it's an old building, so we're always having trouble with the heating and the air conditioning. Right. Uh, so yeah, we got out at like 10.30 in the morning because it was too cold in the classroom and, and the kids couldn't handle it. All right, so uh, another kind of quick just getting started question. What, sure. what is your take on the state of education right now? You know, I think that's, that's an interesting question because, like, you know, I think one of the conversations that comes up of that is always, 
either it's good or it's bad, and then people trying to defend, you know, one way or the other. And I just, as a teacher, see it even in the school that I'm currently in. Like, there are teachers that are, you know, just doing better than others are. And that doesn't, I don't say that to demean anyone, because I think once, you know, sometimes it just takes a teacher finding the right school for them to really, really thrive. And so, you know, not everyone's a good fit in every school. And I, I see individual teachers, especially because I have a presence on YouTube, like folks that are reaching out and contacting me, they're just doing like the most amazing stuff in their classroom and outside of their classroom and, and you know, advocating for their students and advocating for their coworkers. And that, that community that I have the advantage of, of being a part of, I think it's just doing really great stuff. Overall, I mean, education, I mean, in a world where we have to figure out budgets and cut things from the budget all the time and worry about whether or not things like the arts are always going to be included or whether or not we can afford to pay decent teachers in really troubled neighborhoods enough money to keep them there, um, that... That's a struggle to me because I just see, you know, not even just with the government, but just in the private sector also, like, sometimes the things that we have money for. So uh, there's a, you know, if, in Philadelphia, there was a problem with the elephants at one point. Like, they had to get rid of the elephants at the zoo, and they were able to privately fund these this mil- millions of dollars to move the element, elephants to another city so that they could live there and they were able to do that but then at the same time you know, I see what my guys eat for lunch every day and it looks like food that's probably worse than they would have in a prison and that's really sad to me that there's just not that money there I, so you know the state of education is I think there's a lot of people out there making something from nothing and doing really great stuff with not a lot of means yeah for sure and that's sort of where I'm I've been on Instagram for a while, but I just in the, you know, in the recent months started following teachers and I didn't realize there was such a thriving like community of teachers on Instagram, you know, like, and this is something I really respect about you, not only showing like the good things they're doing, but being really open about like the struggles they're having. And I, I think that's a part of what draws you know, me to that community, but also, you know, I can look back at times in my career when I felt alienated because I thought I was the only one, like, going through the struggles of, like you said, being being in the wrong school or, or just, you know, maybe not vibing with the principal. So I, I, I like the way you describe it. I, I don't think it's necessarily good or bad. Yeah. So, all right. Um... So can you just describe real quick, I mean, for the people listening that might not know who you are, where, where do you teach? Because that's, that's another reason I really wanted to reach out to you specifically. So, so what is your sure. current teaching position? So I teach at um, a school in West Philadelphia um, called Boyd Latin. And it is a four-year charter school, uh, high school 9 through 12, that we teach all boys in um, you know, in the neighborhood that, that Will Smith left for Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, it's a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, I think I don't always notice how rough it is just because my school is kind of like, I think of it as like this sort of magical place that exists um, in the middle of the city 
and you forget, like, sometimes, it's very easy to forget, like, what's happening outside of, of the walls of the school. Um, so, yeah, all boys, and which is its own challenge, and I teach ninth grade literature, and I teach a hip-hop elective, um, that's, that's kind of my space in the school right now. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's, uh, really the thing, um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in the dynamic of, of what an, an all boys school is like. So have you, have you taught in a, you know, in a regular public school or have you, have you been at the school the whole time during your career? So I, I've never taught in a public school, but I taught in, so what I, when I was, knew that I wanted to teach, I always knew that I wanted to teach in a school that I felt like needed good teachers. And so I, you know, lived in New Jersey and I got a job in Camden, New Jersey first because that was the most, that was the neighborhood with the most need near me. And so I taught there for five years and I left that position to go to West Philadelphia, which is, in a lot of ways, it is a very, very similar school, very similar population, socioeconomic sort of um, situation going on at my school. But, you know, at my, at my first school, I taught boys and girls at that school, and now it's strictly boys. And it's a much different situation in terms of in terms of just everything. I mean, you know, one of the things that that high school boys do the most is like front because girls are in the classroom, and you don't see that so much, uh, especially after ninth grade in our school. Like a lot of that, there's this sort of like a lot more open vulnerability in our school than I than I think you see when boys and girls go to school together. I don't, I'm not sure this model works, would work for everywhere. I, I don't think like, it could necessarily like, be recreated all the time, but sort of, and I, I really hate to use the word organic, everyone uses it, but it's this sort of organic thing that happens at our school where there's just sort of the right staff and we get, um, you know, we have uh, a certain amount of autonomy in the classroom and it just lends itself to really being successful with kids that I mean, 99% of my students are African-American. And so African-American boys have the lowest graduation rate of anyone in the United States. And, and I work at a place where 100% of our boys get accepted into colleges when they, when they graduate. Wow, that's, that's really fantastic. And Cam, Camden's in New Jersey, right? Isn't that where, Ru- yeah, is that where New Rutgers New is? Right over the bridge from Philadelphia. Oh, nice. All right, so so to that point, you know, with with the dynamic of the school you're in at Boys Latin, how, you know, what 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 is the emphasis you put on relationships? So for me, relationships are everything. I mean, I don't I don't know that they need to be. I, you know, it's a tricky subject because I want to say that it should be for everyone, but there's. I think teaching is so much about personality and it's so much about um, what you as an individual are like. So if you're more introverted and you're not, um, you have trouble connecting with people um, on that level. Like so some teachers are really into content and they're not so much into relationships. But I think for me, relationships were the only way in. and. So I, I tailor, like, everything I do um, 
has a relationship aspect to it. So from the way that my classroom looks, I put a lot of time and energy into making my classroom the greatest classroom that, that my kids have ever walked into. From what I have on the walls to, you know, the types of seating that I offer in the classroom to the lighting in the classroom to the vibe of, of the classroom. So the kids know that, like, you know, I'm, I, I make fun of students a lot, like, in a really fun way. But, and so there's this kind of like joking mentality, but my guys know that like, I don't, I don't deal with um, putting each other down or lazy jokes. So like fat kids getting made fun of because they're fat, that can't happen in my room. Um, those sorts of things can't happen. So you're creating this sort of safe place. And I do that because I want to create a safe place where I can then build relationships with the students. And then, you know, making sure that I'm creating spaces like before school and after school um, so the kids have a place to be if they want to. And, and, you know, opening my room for lunches. I eat lunch with my students twice a day with between, depending on the day, 40 to 60 students in my classroom. And just sitting with kids, asking them about their lives, asking them about if they saw Black Panther or if they like the new Pokemon Go update or what they think about the new Snapchat update and just seeing what they think about regular stuff really builds a buy-in in my classroom that is that I could not do if I didn't have those opportunities. Do you do you feel like um, at your school in, in terms of doing those things, are you the exception to the rule in terms of building relationships or do you feel like that's the culture of the school you work in? So I think, I think it's both, which sounds really narcissistic, but I'll, I'll say that I think I, what I do is I, I play to my strength. I, I, um, sort of an outgoing person in that way anyway. So when I'm at the food store, I talk to people online. When I am, you know, getting my car fixed, I ask the mechanic about his day. And like, and so I, I think that that's part of who I am naturally. And I think that's why I sort of like double down on those strengths because it is who I am. That being said, I think there's ways for everyone to be able to do that. And, and I've seen folks that I work with that have really struggled and I've met tons of folks online that are, have really had a hard time with classroom management. And I can't tell you how many emails and DMs and Facebook messages I've got back from people that, you know, that building relationships was the missing link. That's the thing that really helped them to, to make the turn in their classroom from being like this really difficult place to being somewhere that like kids were actually learning and caring about and doing good stuff in. Right. So, you know, say you have talked to or you were talking to someone who is more on that introverted side because we know there are those teachers out there and also, you know, to your point with content, it's really hard, and I'm sure it's the same where you are when teachers are being, are, are having to push so much content, it, it can, you know, make them feel like the relationship is just, you know, way off to the side, like the content is the most important thing. So, so what advice would you give to a teacher who is more introverted or a teacher who is solely, you know, just focused on the content to, to help them start to bridge that gap and build those relationships? I think, you know, that's, that's a common question. And my, my go-to answers for that are typically either they're find the you that existed 
when you were like in your high school, right? So whoever you were at 14, 18, you know, 10 years old, whatever your age is that you're teaching, there, you know, whoever you were in school was, was probably, you know, similar to who you are now, right? It's probably the introverted kid, maybe the kid that flies under the radar. Um, maybe you were the spaz kid that had a hard time sitting down. Maybe you were the class clown. So whatever those folks, you know, whoever you are, I think really you should look for that little you in your classroom. And if you're the introverted one, there's got to be some kid that feels invisible that you can help feel visible. There's got to be that kid that just doesn't think anyone gets them. No one wants to talk to them. No one, you know, because because they're not so exceptional. They're not really funny. They're not always in trouble. They're not um, the smartest kid in the class. So maybe reach out and find that student. And I think, you know, that kind of leads right into my other point, which is no matter how introverted you are, you can make someone who doesn't think anyone sees them know that someone sees them. You know, what, you know and I don't, I don't say this as an answer to a lot of the stuff that's happening in schools, the, the violence that we see happening in school, but because I, I, have, I don't have a straightaway answer for that. But I would say that one of the things I know helps, because not, not everyone takes it to the extreme, takes their hurt to the extreme, but there are kids that are like, that are hurting, that don't think anyone sees them. And you can just say, what's up in the hallway to someone? Give them a head nod. Um, I did this really goofy thing where I take, uh, I, 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 my school loves that I spend money on this, but I print pictures of eyeballs out, like illustrated eyeballs, I cut them up, I put tape on the back, and then I stick the eyeballs to kids, and I just say, I have an eye on you. And it's so dumb, but it's, it gets laughs every single time that I do it, or I put stickers on kids as they walk by me in the hallway. And I think that's something that anyone's capable of, because you don't, you know, when you're trying to do this, I think it's hard to look at a whole class and think you need to win them over the whole thing. And you really don't. You can just win over, you know, like, if you could, if you could touch, like, you know, one kid's heart a day and really make them feel seen, then, you know, you start building this, uh, what am I thinking, the word I'm thinking of, you start building, like, a, um, a name for yourself as someone that does that or that your room is a safe place. I had a student who uh, came into my room last week, and I've had my eye on him for a while. His, his brother was killed earlier in the school year, and so everyone's kind of keeping an eye on this kid, and he walked into my classroom the other day during lunch, and I said, hey, man, can I help you with anything? And he goes, no, I, this is what he goes. It's so funny because it's exactly what I, what I tell the kids, but he then repeated back to me. He says, I heard your classroom was a safe place where kids can just hang out during lunch. And I said, that's exactly what it is. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. And then we just talked for the rest of the period. So even if you're an introvert, I think that you can, you can do that for kids. And I think, if nothing else, open your classroom up as a safe place. Like that, this, the quiet kids can just be, they can read a book, they can play a game on their phone, they can eat their lunch, do their homework, and you become that space where kids really, really feel safe. I think that that wins every time. You know, and, and that's so funny that you say that too because I sort of felt that way, you know, by just like trying to really pick out, you know, a few kids at a time. And, and I want to talk about this a little later, but, you know, obviously you're, you're a fan of Gary Vee and I'm a fan of Gary Vee. Like I've, I've followed him. But one of the things that he says he does 
like or that I recall him seeing, like when he's walking through an airport and someone walks past him and they make eye contact, he just gives them a nod. And and I have done that at school this year, you know, to every kid that I come by. And it's so strange how, like you said, that alone can facilitate the start of a relationship. And so much so that I have girls who are not in my regular classrooms. They're just in my study hall, like two girls that are in my study hall. I've only really known them five weeks. Both came up to me and were, were like, you know, we feel like you're one of the only teachers that actually cares about us. And it started with me just really acknowledging, you know, that they're, they're around and doing that. And like you said, with um, our school, you know, small town, Wisconsin school, we've had three deaths this school year. Um, two, were, two were by car accident and um, one was a suicide and it's just rocked our kids. It's just rocked our kids. But, you know, for me, just being able to be there for a few of the kids at a time and, and, and talking with them. And, you know, I've had kids, kids say to me, too, like, you're, you're just one of the only people that actually listens to what we're saying. And, you know, I, I felt like that's, that's been such, such a thing. And it's so strange how I, I'm almost networking because I, you know, I came to a school where no one knew me. None of the kids knew me. And I just sort of like, hey, I'm, you know, I have a relationship with this one kid. And when they're standing around a bunch of people, I'll walk up and just talk and start talking to the whole group. And then before I know it, the whole group wants to talk to me when they see me. And, you know, I just kind of have spidered out and done that, um, you know, throughout the year. And I have a lot of really good relationships. And I felt like that's, that's been the most meaningful part of my job. Um, do you, you know, think... I think how, if I can just speak to that, I think one, one, that's both amazing and really sad too, right? Like it's, it's amazing that your students feel like they have an adult that they can speak with and they can be honest with and that cares about what they're saying. But to me, for a student to say that, you know, and maybe students always have to be, you know, maybe, maybe you're not the only one, and, and I don't say that to diminish you in the slightest, yeah. but uh, it's sort of like when my kids say, like, you never do anything fun with us, my own children, and I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I'm always trying to be, like, the yeah. best dad, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to be the dad that I didn't have. Um, and so, so I do take it with, with a grain of salt, but I think that, you know, one of the things you're saying there, too, is Kids just need someone to listen to them sometimes, you know, and, and if teachers and adults alike just forget that, you know, your, your advice isn't as important as, as your ability to listen to students is. That, you know, when you're 14, 15 years old, I just remember being a kid and my parents would have folks come over and they would ask me about school and about whether or not I was playing sports and then that was it. No one ever asked me my opinion about something or what I thought about things or, you know, my take on something, it was, it, it was just never there, but as a, as a young person, you really want to be heard, and, and it helps you to, to work some of that stuff out, especially after dealing with something really traumatic, like, you know, a, a car accident or a suicide, and remembering that students don't just process that, and it doesn't just go away, right? You didn't, like, it wasn't like, okay, we talked about that in class, cool, now we can move on and learn geometry. Like, that's something that needs to be revisited over and over and over again, and kids need to know that it's okay to do that, that it's not, 
you know, a quick fix. It's, this is a, a lifetime of hurt sometimes, and how are we going to work on this together? And I can do that by just listening to you. And I think that really lets teachers off the hook because then they don't have to feel like they have to say the right thing all the time. They can just be an opening, like a, a safe place to just listen to kids and give them that, that time of day. And so I think that's really amazing what you're doing with that sort of stuff. Do you, do you feel like teachers who, who aren't investing in the relationships or don't know to invest in the relationships are, are missing out on the best part of being a teacher? Because I feel like the relationships I have with students and I've had with students is the most fulfilling part of the job because, you know, we ask people about, you know, who their favorite teacher is and none of them ever say that it was Mrs. Miller because she was really great at teaching me calculus. It's always about how that teacher made them feel and I just, I feel like so many teachers are missing out on the best part of the profession. I, I, I do, so there's, that could go either way. I think if that's part of who you are and that, you know, you so many teachers I talk to are just afraid to have relationships with the students because, you know, it's, it's like, it, it feels like once a week. It might not be that often. In the news, you always see some teacher that took it too far, had sex with their students, and then, or had some sort of inappropriate relationship with a student, and it gets, you know, and then that makes you look at your relationships with students and go, all right, am I being smart? Am I handling this the right way? Because I, I think there, there is a safe, safer way than, than not a lot of times to do that. So, um, but I will say that I have friends. My friend, Randy Rebuy, is, uh was a teacher at my school. He was a phenomenal teacher. He's since moved to, to California because um, he's like a big deal author now and stuff. But he's, uh, his classroom, even though outside of class, he was the funniest, one of the funniest guys I knew. He was one of the strangest human beings that I knew in terms of like just doing goofy stuff and was interested in kind of odd things. He was super personable and really caring. In the classroom, he didn't want to come off like that. He, he was afraid that if he did that, it, it would hurt his classroom. So he wanted to come off as very stern, very disciplined. His class was super organized. He took no nonsense. And he's like a, he was like a five foot 10 Asian man. Um, and so he, he didn't want that to work against him. Um, so what he ended up doing was like creating this space where he really knew his stuff. His class was super organized, super difficult. And the kids always said like that Mr. Rebuy's class was the class they probably learned the most in, in high school and how much they appreciated him. They knew that he cared uh, because of the effort he put forth. Like it was never about him. It was always about the students achieving and grasping the content and being able to do something with that. But he wasn't the one that students would necessarily go to to talk about like, whatever was going on um, in their lives. And he wasn't against that, but it just, that wasn't what he saw his role in, as in the school. And so I think, you know, to speak to what you're saying, like I, I could not, I would not teach if I could not build relationships with students. It would just be, I'd find something else in which I could, could, could do that with. But for some teachers, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, I think there's a level of guilt sometimes that teachers feel, in, at least teachers that I've interacted with, that feel like uh, 
they're not the funnest, they're not the funniest, they're not the most outgoing, they don't always have something interesting to talk about. And so, that, you know, I'd hate for someone to feel bad about themselves because they were missing that piece. I still think they can do it on some level, um, but I think for some of us, it just comes easier, and it's the thing that the kids remember the most, right? Which is kind of a bummer, because no one's ever said that they learned a lot in my class. They always say, if they're asked to describe me, it's how funny Mr. Reynolds is, and I'm like, come on, man, so to be smart, like, one time, so maybe, maybe we could hook that up. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's my, my answer to that. All right, so, so to that point then, you know, we, you've mentioned the word vulnerability, you've mentioned authenticity. So what do you see is the, the value for teachers in both authenticity and vulnerability? And, you know, to your point about some inappropriate relations, what do you think the, the right level of each of those things is? Yeah, so I think one, vulnerability and authenticity are in a lot of ways, like the key to a happy life, man. You know, if you're not being authentic, if you're, if you're fronting or being, you know, I feel really old saying this word, but like if you're trying to be a poser, like you're just not, people will never get a real sense of who you are and then you end up like playing a role instead of being who you are. I think if I want students to be vulnerable with me, which I think is really healthy, I think it's really useful inside the classroom and just out in the hallway. Um, I think it's important because students need to know that they can feel however they feel about something and not feel like they have to hide it or they should be ashamed of it or they should make them, like, you know, it's not manly to be, uh, to show any emotion besides, you know, besides anger a lot of times in my school. And so, Letting guys know, like, no, it's all right. Something bad happened. You can cry about that. You can feel bad about it. You can be depressed. Like, that's all right. And to that end, I think I need to model that, those sorts of behaviors to my students. So I can't ask someone to be vulnerable, and then I'm not going to be vulnerable also. So, for instance, like, if I have a student that um, I had a long talk with a kid at the beginning of the year whose father had passed away just last year, and I said, you know, I just want you to know, you know, if you ever need someone to talk to, I'd be more than willing to talk about that. I lost my father when I was four, and I lost my mom when I was 22, and it was hard. It was hard for a long time. It didn't just go away. And what I think kids are surprised to hear me talk about that, because I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to say it's all going to be all right. It's just like, I'm just trying to identify the pain that I felt um, that I'm noticing that you have also without comparing it. Like... Um, I'm not trying to say get over it. Like I, I, I dealt with that too. You know, everyone has stuff going on. Get over it. I just think you you help kids see like what it looks like to go through things. Um, just the same way that you would teach them like how to study in class. Like this is how you deal with your hurt. And I think some teachers do take that too far. Even to that point, um, when they you can share too much. You can tell too much of your story. Like, my students don't need to know that, like, if I go home and have a beer at night, right? Like, uh, that's not the picture I want to, to create. They don't need to know, you know, that I was on a date with my wife uh, on Saturday. Now, in some classes, it's kind of funny to talk about stuff like that, but overall, I think you just, you want to be careful because I, I never tell a student anything that I would be worried about them going and telling someone else. I assume they're going to go, even though I'm sure they don't, I assume my kids are going to go home and they're going to tell their mom or dad or their grandma 
what they heard in school today, what funny thing Reynolds said, the story that Reynolds told us about his mom or about when he was in high school or about his son. And I think if you come at it from that perspective, like, I wouldn't be afraid if anyone found out the things I talk about and the things I do in my classroom, then you're okay. When you start thinking, asking kids to keep a secret or worrying about what who they're going to tell or when they're going to tell or how this might look badly about you, then I think you need to be concerned. Like, you should think twice about what you're actually talking about doing in the classroom. Yeah, and, and I also look at, too, you know, in terms of social media, our kids see you know, the highlights and we could go, you know, on and on about what Instagram is, but, you know, they look at certain teachers and I, I feel like for me, I have to be really good at identifying, you know, like you said, what I'm good at and, and what the right way to tell my story story is, because I think everybody tells their story differently. So I, I'm going to ask more of like a, like a personal question, you know, like on this vein of vulnerability, I just found out. Uh, a little more than a week ago that my contract with the school is not going to be renewed. So, yeah, so it's going to be, you know, like in the board meeting minutes. So it's going to be public knowledge soon. But I guess I would love to hear your advice on, you know, to that end as it comes out, you know, what do you think the right way to approach that with with kids is, um, being that that's going to be, you know, public record and public information. So if your students know about it, I think I would talk about it in class. I think all things are better talked about instead of speculated about. And so I think it could also be a really amazing learning experience for your students. That, you know, your students watch us. They watch all the things that we do and say, just like, you know, small children do. Like when my son will say something and I know that he heard me say that before or when he'll um, you know it it, it kind of reminds me of if you've ever seen the original Jaws movie there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where Captain Brody's sitting at a kitchen table he's eating dinner and his young son is mimicking everything he does because he doesn't think that his father sees him so if he crosses his hand if he rubs his face um, if he pushes his fingers back through his hair. The son is watching all the things that the dad is doing. And I think so much of life is like that, especially with students and especially with people that they admire. So, you know, given your your relationship with your students, um, they're going to watch how you handle this. So if you were, and this is not the sense I get about you at all, but like if you were to go in and like start talking trash about the school and how bad the administration is and how could they possibly let you go, instead of looking at this through a healthier lens, like your kids are going to pick up on that and they're going to to see it as like, well, this is, here's this person that I respect. I'll probably, you know, whether they, you know, know it or not, they might start mimicking some of the things that you're doing. I think it's also an important thing to talk about because I think, especially in, so I teach in like what's known as a Title I school, which is a, a school in a really tough neighborhood. There's very little consistency in a school like mine or schools that folks don't want to stay at. People come for one, two years, and then they move on, they go and do something else, and they get to kind of check it off the bucket list that they talk the hood for a minute. And I think the, the problem with that is the, the students already suffer from a lack of consistency in their lives a lot of time. Maybe dad's not around, maybe mom or grandma are really working hard and they're working two jobs and they're not home all the time. And so 
your classroom and your relationship becomes a place of consistency for students that they know where you are every day. They know how class is going to start, how it's going to end, how you feel about them, what lunch um, time together is going to look like, the kind of things that you, that, you know, the, the fact that they can feel safe and they can feel comfortable talking about things. That's a big deal because they have this consistency in their lives. And when now with you not being brought back, that's going to be a lack of consistency. It's going to break that. And so giving kids space to talk about that um, and for you to just listen to them sort of lament about that and maybe about ways that you can keep connecting with them in the future, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram or however, email. If they need you, they know that you're a phone call away, a text away, a DM away, a Facebook message, whatever it is, that 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 connection piece can still be there. I think it's crucial to students. And then... I also would love to ask you a follow-up question. So I know I'm not the first teacher that's ever been non-renewed. And I know I definitely won't be the last teacher that's ever non-renewed. You know, and in trying to be authentic on, you know, social media and and to kind of build our platform and through this podcast, do you have any advice on what the right tact or or the right way to tell that story? Because one of the things I really appreciate about your, your content is you're a great storyteller. So... Do you have any advice on how I could, how I could kind of document or tell the story of what these next couple months are going to be like, knowing that I'm not going to be brought back, but I still want to have an impact with the kids in the time that I have? So I, I think, you know, so you're looking to document the story of what it is to be a teacher that wasn't asked back and then kind of like what happened next, you're saying? Yeah, or just kind of how, how I, you know, go through it. Because I know I'm going to have those down days where I'm, I'm like, you know, you're not bringing me back. Like, why would I want to put in the extra effort? You know, and things like that. I think one of the coolest things, man, about about social media, and I I include YouTube in that, is that it gives you this chance to document your journey. And whether that's, you know, so in thinking of Gary Vee, he said something, he's talked about this a number of times, but I never thought about it before he said it. The idea of, like, that I'm making YouTube videos, and I don't know what where YouTube goes in the future. It might change platforms. I might upload them somewhere else. I have no idea. But the idea that my great-great-grandkids could see who I was and what I was about and how I felt about things, which is really part of it. That's in the back of my head when I'm creating content, which is why I try to be as authentic and vulnerable as I can be. You know, it's, it's the public, and my children have to go to school, and I know... Their friends watch it, and I know some of their teachers watch it, so I'm mindful of the information I'm putting out there. But even that being said, like, I try to be open about it. And I just think, if for no other reason, you know, your descendants, you know, 100 years from now, the idea that they could watch this is really amazing because they're watching someone overcome whatever adversity that they're dealing with. I think that's also a reason to do it to show your students like if I you know ever lost my job I would 100% want to document what happened next because I'd want to show my kids like look I'm going to do this you know and even that's just making me also think of the fact that last year I you know when I started my YouTube channel we started um, and I had like like everybody else you had like your first subscriber which was like my wife on her phone and we were like yes my wife will be subscribed to me if no one else does and um, we are 
and my students would laugh at me when they would ask, like, they would find out I had a YouTube channel. They'd say, well, I mean, you know, because your subscriber count is 100%, like, it gauges whether you're worth anything or not in my students' eyes. So they'd say, how many subscribers do you have now, Mr. Reynolds? And I would feel like, I have 25. And, and, they, and then it, would, it slowly built up, and then I slowly eclipsed the number that any one of my students had. And, you know, so it's really funny for me to sort of like, for my students to see me do something, to work really hard at it, and to do, have, um, have success in the end of it. And so I think that your situation could be very, very similar to that, in that, you know, not necessarily like a YouTube channel growing or Instagram account growing, but like, nope, I got, I got beat down, but I can stand up and I can keep going and that's what this is going to look like and it's going to look really sad some days and I'm going to be pissed off other days and, and, and then there will inevitably be growth because that's who I am. That's what I'm going after. There's, there's no other alternative besides me growing. And so I want you to see that because when you feel like this one day, when you feel knocked down, you can look back at these videos and go, here's my teacher. Like, he did this amazing thing with his life even after they tried to, like, take his job away from him. It didn't stop him. And so, I mean, what better lesson that could you teach your students than that? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's And I really appreciate that, too. And, and that's sort of, you know, like you said, if nothing else, I want to be a person that's constantly um, growing and constantly developing and getting better. So I um, want to be respectful of your Sunday time, but I want to ask you, you know, just a few questions uh, to, to end up. I got, I got to ask, what was it like to, to be in the room with Gary Vee? <laughs> so first of all, being on the phone with Gary Vee was something that I did not foresee coming. I was um, sitting in my kitchen. I was working on YouTube. And for whatever reason, like, this happens all the time, where, like, something important happens or I'm on the phone. I'm literally surprised I have not been um, interrupted yet while we've been on the phone with my kids who wanted to drink or someone fell or, like, my Legos are stuck together and I can't get them apart. Um, so I get on the phone with Gary. He calls me and I see a New York number and I answer it. And because uh, I was putting it in my number in on Facebook like everybody else was, my wife was helping me. And I get a phone call, and it's Gary, and I could not believe it. And immediately, my dog starts barking, my kids want to drink, and in, in that moment when I was on the Ask Gary Vee show, you can hear, there's a moment where I, tell, I say, I need 10 seconds. And Gary thought I was talking to him, but in reality, I was talking to my children, like, no, Dad's doing something really important. You need to pause for a second. So that phone call, I, I like, just... I could not get the words out. I could not say clearly what I really, really wanted. So it was really amazing that he even offered the opportunity for us to go up there. And then, you know, they set the bus down and we go up and the students are excited. But I took guys that I didn't take anyone that I was 100% sure of how this would end up. Like they, they knew who Gary was. I had talked to them about it. I'd shown videos in class and stuff. But to show up with dudes that were, you know, like the night before was real rough at home and you can see it on their faces. And my guys don't immediately buy into anyone. You need to prove yourself. And so you, a lot of the comments afterwards were, you know, like uh, there were a couple of people that were like, uh, 
look at these kids. They don't even look excited to be there. It's like, they were excited. They're not going to let you know they were excited, though. And so to sit in that room, it was, I was a little uneasy because I wasn't sure what questions would be asked or what the kids would say. But Gary, you know, he, he even says this about himself, how people are surprised at how nice he was. Not just was I surprised at how nice Gary was, but, like, when his assistant Tyler met us downstairs in front of VaynerMedia, super nice guy, really easy to talk to, took the time and energy to answer every question that every kid had, even though you could tell his phone was blowing up the whole time that we were on a schedule. Did not rush at all. The people, when we went to the office, like meeting D-Rock and meeting the other Tyler and meeting, um, what's, uh, I forget what his name is. Uh, his, his Instagram handle is these nuts. I forget what his name is, but um, mm-hmm. he's a goatee. He's one of yeah. Aaron's guys. Yeah. He was super nice. People in the office that just would stop us and say, hey, what are you guys doing here today? Like, do you want to see what I'm working on? Or my students at one point asking someone who was working on a Pinterest ad uh, said, hey, what, can I ask you what program you're using to do that with? Um, they were like, oh, sure. Well, why don't you come over and I'll show you how I'm doing it. And then taking the time to actually speak with my students and that meant everything to me and then for Gary to take an hour of his time he pushed back another meeting after it still hung out with us then took time to be one-on-one with most of my students after the meeting about things that they talked about I didn't go over and, and interrupt signed books for everyone took all the pictures that everybody wanted it really showed something because I mean that guy is so busy that like you know, Tyler was saying, he's like, Gary doesn't pee in the middle of the day. He just works all day, every minute, every day. And But for him to put off some of those responsibilities that were, you know, paying the bills, to take time to speak with my students as a teacher, man, like, things don't mean more to you than that, than people that stop and see your kids for who they are and take the time and energy that that the kids need, it just meant everything. It was really, really an amazing day. Oh, and and I that was one of I don't get a lot of chances to watch the you know the the show live, but I really wanted to watch that one because I'm a big fan of Adam Braun and what he's done with Pencils of Promise yeah. and what he's doing with Mission U. And and I listened to that call live, and then as soon as the video came up, I watch it, and it's so funny to me that now here I, here I am having a conversation with you. On, because of a strategy that, you know, like, it was Gary Vee's strategy. You know, he says, like, if you're building a pie, you just got to DM people and just ask. You know, and... hundred percent. I've won on that strategy a number of times now. You know, so... so it really, it truly works. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to make sure I asked you about that. But, uh, and, and two, to be respectful of your time, I want to get you out of here quick. So um, is there anything that, you know... My, myself and my my partner law or our listeners what what can we do to help you out i, I think you know if, if anything i would just leave you with with the message that to remember that when you're teaching it's not easy to be young we sometimes you know we talked about this a little bit before the podcast but the the idea that we look back and we just i often look at my children and i think how easy their lives are that they don't really have worries they don't have concerns their the work that they have to do is very minimal but when you're young, it is a lot. It is stressful. You don't know how to deal with your emotions. You know, things can be very... If you remember, like, being 14 and, like, breaking up with your girlfriend, it, like, it was the end of the world to you, right? 
and not diminishing that in young people, but really taking the time to stop and let them know that you care and that it will be okay. And I think if more kids had someone stop and take the time to just put a hand on their shoulder and let them know that they see them and that what they're going through is is valid, that would change. Um, it would just it would build relationships and, and create um, you know a generation of people that that felt all right being vulnerable and felt like people actually actually cared about them. So you know, if everyone does one thing tomorrow, they should find one kid that thinks they're alone and let them know they're. Perfect. That's a that's a great way to end. So again, we can we can find you online at uh, Real Rap with Reynolds, and we will make sure to uh, to link that up in the show notes. But again, I, I super appreciate you coming on the show and, and taking some time to uh, uh, not only help our listeners but help me personally with you know what I'm going through. So uh, really really appreciate the time. Kyle, no problem, man. I'm glad to do it. All right, this has been episode 38 of the LED Project Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram. Uh, our handle is value adds value. Otherwise, find us on, on Facebook as Lighthouse Educator Development. This is episode 38, and we are out.